Neighbors can be challenging. Whether they are too loud or too messy, it can be easy to get territorial and wish our neighbors lived, well, somewhere else. We like things to be in our control, and when other people who live differently than us get involved, it can feel like that control is slipping away, much like it felt for the man of today's episode. So how can what seems like an intruder truly become a neighbor? Let's find out. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, where we share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the art form of audio drama. Yes, and that includes sound effects. I'm Timothy Gregory, bringing you the story of a man who happily moved into a new house with his new family to find a filthy old house with a confusing tenant across the street. Although he wanted to move again, we'll see just how this new neighbor moved him in today's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. Also, you'll want to stick around because later we're going to give the rest of you an opportunity to enter yet another sweepstakes drawing for a prize. No, it's not a cash prize, but it is a prize, and I think it's a prize that you are really going to like if we draw your name. But first, let's get to it, folks. Part one of the true story of Mike Adkins and a man called Norman. Well, who's going to go up there first? I thought we were all going together. Yeah, me too. What, are you chicken? No, I just, I mean, we're together. We're even in costume as the Three Musketeers. Yeah, all for one and one for all. You're scared. Why don't you do it? Yeah, it was your idea to trick-or-treat at this haunted place. Yeah, I know. But now I'm not sure I'd want a tree from weird old Norman. He could have a trick. Yeah, like waiting behind his door with a hatchet. Ready to take it and... Ah! Okay, okay, stop, stop! <laughs> hey, we could do a ding-dong ditch. Yeah! We'll be out of there before he has time to pick up his hatchet. Uh-huh. Yeah, we could. Okay, follow me. Boy, this house is creepy. What'd you expect? Weird Norman's probably a serial killer. Guys, wait up! Quiet, stupid. Sorry. The steps are broken. Okay, he doesn't have a doorbell, so we'll knock really loud and then tear out of here. At the count of... Wait, all of us knock? Yeah, idiot, all of us. Count of three, okay? Get ready. One, two... This is an unforgettable story of an uncommon friendship, of two men who triumph over their fears, and the unexpected rewards of those who reach out to others. Based on his book from Focus on the Family, we bring you the true story of Mike Adkins and a man called Norman, right now on Unshackled. I was born and raised in West Frankfurt, coal mining town in southern Illinois. Like most mining towns, West Frankfort is one main street. It's halved by railroad tracks as trains rumble through, 
reminding the town of the underground world in which so many of us spent our working lives. As in all small towns where everybody knows most everybody else, people in West Frankfurt still care what others think of them. My mother's life centered around the church, while my father's one great concern was... Food! Almost impossible to keep any in the house. Not with nine kids, you don't. Now they eat more than the boys down in the mines. Can you pick up some lunch meat on your way home tonight? Yeah, I guess I'll have to if we want to eat. Thank you, dear. I know we don't live like kings, but we do have much to be grateful for. Now, how do you figure? Uh, outside of lunch meat for dinner every now and then, the kids are healthy and happy. Yeah, as long as they don't spin out of control like the neighbor's kids. Seems like those Turner boys are always getting into some trouble or other. Like the Bible says, we raise them up in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. <laughs> yeah, Bible say anything about me putting a lock on the fridge? <laughs> Our large family and the closeness of the community made for a boyhood rich with playmates and hijinks. I had ambitions to be a singer, and I dropped out of college for good in my sophomore year to play in a rock and roll band. My parents, not surprisingly, were against this. Because, Michael, it's a lot of sex, drugs, and awful lyrics. Ah, oh, what are you chasing, son? The wind? Eventually, I came home from touring with the band and resumed dating a girl named Carmel that I'd gone out with in high school. I pulled out all the stops as I knew she was the kind of girl my family wanted for me. La donna mobile, qual più malvento, muta da cento, pasta alfredo, sempre... Michael Atkins! Hey! You're gonna wake the neighbors! What are you doing? I'm serenading you! With what? An Italian aria! <laughs> An aria? Did you just sing pasta alfredo? Uh, yeah. I forgot the word. Do you even know what the song means? <laughs> Not really, but it is Italian. Well, it did sound nice. Thank you. Did you get my flowers? My father got your flowers. Uh-oh. He thought they were lovely. <laughs> Great. And so did I. Really? Just beautiful, Mike. Thank you. Prego. That's Italian for you're welcome. Prego. Want to hear another? All right. Ti amo. Ti amo. That's pretty. What's it mean? It means, I love you. Ti amo, Carmel. Oh, ti amo, Mike. She fell for it, and for me, and became my wife on June the 4th, 1964. Once Carmel and I married, I needed a good paying job. Reluctant but determined to succeed, I went into the coal mines. I remember my first ride down, descending that concrete shaft in the two-sided metal elevator some 700 feet to the dark streets below. <coughs> wow, you all actually work in this stuff? Yeah, get used to it, Mike. It's all the air we get down here. <clears throat> it feels like it's coating my throat. May need to stop every once in a while. Catch your breath. Is that even possible down here? They put in blowers and ventilation equipment to help delay the inevitable. Inevitable what? Black lung disease. 
Dear God, help me. On the positive side, with the steady income I received from my job in the mines, Carmel and I began to build our life together. We had two children, Tracy and Tricia. <laughs> we both started to mature. But even after I was married, I pursued my own ways for several years. However, in 1968, I took a big step. Lord, I'm tired of living for me. I want to live for you. I repent of my sinful ways. Please forgive me. I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I owe my life to you, Jesus. Today, I give it. I believe in you and trust in you as my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. From that time on, I tried to live for the Lord. I worked at every task our church would give me, and I tried to be a good witness. Nothing I did really prepared me, however, for the way God wanted to teach me to love my neighbor as myself. It's really ours, isn't it, honey? Not bad for our first home. It's quaint. I mean, it needs a lot of work. The girls will love it. They will when we're done with it. Who are our neighbors? Family next door and a retired preacher on the other side. That widow lady Marie lives just across the street. And what about the Boo Radley house next to hers? Well, I think it's abandoned. It's a mess for sure. Can't imagine anyone living there. It looks like something you might see in a horror film. Yeah, gives me the creeps. Maybe they'll come tear it down someday. And put up a nice new home in its place. So, where do we begin? First things first, I get rid of that old tree stump by the street. Oh, that's gonna be a job. Carmel, this house is gonna take some effort, but I really believe the Lord brought us here. Well, if God brought us to it, he will bring us through it. Amen. On the appointed day to remove the tree stump, I started digging. Those roots went deep, so it was going to take a while. My mind started to wander, and I began to consider my neighbors. I was very gung-ho about telling people about my faith. I wanted everyone to know that Billy Graham had moved in. Tell the truth, I wasn't sure any of my new neighbors needed evangelizing. Still, I wanted them to be aware of my commitment. As I continued digging, the sweat now running down my face, I saw someone come out of that haunted house. I couldn't believe my eyes. I guess someone did live there. Then I recognized who it was. It was Norman. I thought, oh no, God, that's weird old Norman over there. Lord, how could you have me buy a house across the street from old weird Norman? Folks, we'll get back to Mike and Norman's story in just a moment, but first, I want to share a bit about how our ministry is able to bring hope to people all over the world. Unshackled is now in its 73rd year of spreading the good news through powerful stories about real people. Our success is a result of God's blessing and the involvement of, well, supporters like you. When you contribute to Unshackled, it has a direct impact, your support allows us to hire quality writers, talented actors, as you can hear, a skilled production team, and a devoted staff. Through your support, we're able to share Unshackled worldwide. 
So, in order to continue the work of spreading the gospel and allowing us to offer this program for free, won't you consider making a donation to Unshackled? It's really quite easy. All you need to do is click on the live link, if there's one where you're listening, or visit our podcast website at unshackledpodcast.org. That's unshackledpodcast.org, and then click the donate button. Or you can always write a check, Unshackled, we take checks. You mail that check to... 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. We thank you for your partnership in our ministry. And now, let's get back to Mike and Norman's story. Norman Corbin, a.k.a. Weird Norman, was now my neighbor. Norman was the odd, creepy guy every town seems to have. You're never quite sure if he's dangerous or not, but you don't want to find out the hard way. I'd known of Norman since grade school. Now in his 70s, he spent his days walking up and down Main Street twice as fast or slow as most folks. Rubber galoshes instead of shoes flopping on his feet. Six foot two and sturdily built, he wore dirty overalls and a hat so grease-stained you could hardly tell it had once been a fedora. Often on his rambles through town, Norman would stop, take off his hat, look up at the sky and shout, Hey! Oh-hoo-wah! One of that best in frangers! Sweet Mac Crypno! Or some such nonsense. I assumed he was crazy. My wife and I had prayed about which house to buy, and I couldn't understand why the Lord would have led us to a house across the street from Norman. And our daughters were young. I couldn't always be there to protect them. So my immediate response to seeing Norman come out of the house was to feel betrayed by God. I watched him and thought, he really is strange. He didn't notice me for a while because he was tinkering with a gas-powered lawnmower trying to start it with no success. Suddenly he saw me and next he did something I really couldn't believe. He raised his arms like the Incredible Hulk, looked at me and... Then he charged down the side yard as if he were about to cross the street and strangle me, all the time screaming. Norman stopped just short of the street. He glowered at me, keeping his arms raised. I froze, not knowing whether to run or defend myself. Then he simply turned and went back to the lawnmower. I remember thinking, God... I know we're supposed to love everybody, but if he comes over here, I'm going to defend myself. I looked again, and here comes Norman rushing at me once more. He did it three times in all, each time stopping, staring at me, and returning to his lawnmower. Then, something happened to me that I least expected. A feeling seemed to settle down on me lifted me up as it fell, like a misty rain, and yet peaceful and quiet, like fog. I don't mean something I could see. I'm trying to describe the presence of God. And with that presence, a boldness came to me that I don't normally have. Faith prompted me that now was the time. So I walked across the street and into Norman's yard. I walked right up to him. His eyes looked huge behind the thick lenses of his glasses. 
He needed a shave. His downcast head searched the grass as if a missing lawnmower part might be lying around somewhere. Then I said, Are you having trouble with your lawnmower, Norman? You having trouble with your lawnmower, Norman? Well, Norman, I'm not much of a lawnmower mechanic, but let me see what I can do here. Well, Norman, not much of a lawnmower mechanic, but let me see what I can do here. I'm a... I'm just going to tighten these screws here on the housing and clean this spark plug, and then we'll give her a pull. All right. Let's see if she starts. All right. Let's see if she starts. <laughs> Norman's chuckle and grin revealed a green and yellow tooth here, a green and yellow tooth there, and two more down below. As I went back across the street, I thought, maybe that grin is the start of a friendship. The next few times I saw Norman on our street, I called out hi, and he waved back, uh, hello, before flapping down the street in his galoshes. In our town, a lot of folks used to go to the Dairy Queen after their Sunday night church services. It was tradition. The members of the different churches always greeted each other the same way. Hi, Bill. Hi, Betty. Hi, John. How's your family? Fun. How was your oh, church? Oh, wonderful. No one in our town, it seemed, ever had a bad church service. And guess who always walked into the middle of that? Norman. How did we treat him? We acted as if we didn't see him. And Mike Adkins avoided him as much as anyone else. One Sunday night during the early fall, after the tree stump episode, I was with Carmel at the Dairy Queen when Norman came in. Seeing him... I thought about the seed of friendship that had been planted between us. I felt the Lord urging me to go talk to him. I had also been wondering if anyone had ever told Norman about Jesus. I didn't want to go over because I was afraid of what my neighbors might think. But finally, after asking Carmel to pray for me, I went and sat down in his booth. Do you remember who I am, Norman? Do you remember who I am, Norman? I'm your neighbor. I'm your neighbor. If Norman was going to repeat everything I said, this was going to take all night. So I cut to the point. Norman, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is? <clears throat> Did you ever think about asking Jesus to come into your heart and be your Savior and your Lord? I've given it serious consideration. I was stunned that he had the mental ability to comprehend what I was asking. I didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything. I was so surprised that I simply went back to my wife. I had to think now about who Norman really was and what friendship with him might mean. He's coming tonight? Yeah, I, I saw him working out in the yard and maybe it was the Lord prompting me, but I remembered that Christian music special on TV later and invited him to come over and watch it with us. All right. You're not mad? Of course not. I'm surprised it took you this long to invite him over. What? 
I just realized that with his poor eyesight, there's only one good place for him to sit in front of the TV. In your chair. In my chair. My beautiful velvety fabric recliner. I love my chair. <laughs> oh, honey. Well, it's not funny. What if he stinks it up? He's not had a bath in years, maybe. I'll get the air freshener. Coming. He's wearing a tie. I wonder where he got it. Well, Norman, come on in. We're glad to have you. Hi, Norman. Hello. Norman, why don't you come in and, uh, why don't you sit in my chair? Thank you. Here, we'll even let out the leg rest on this lazy boy. Oh. Huh. <laughs> there you go. Just... Relax and enjoy the show. Carmel and I sat farther back on the couch and watched Norman watch TV. He sat so still, hardly breathing, and he became so involved in the show. At the end of the television program, Norman got up. Well, I guess I'll... I guess I'll go home now. Thank you very much. All right, Norman. Let me get the door for you here. Take care, Norman. Norman, watch the steps. Let me get the porch light on for you. Careful not to trip on the steps. Good night, Norman. Maybe we'll have you come back sometime. Just so sad, watching him go back to that old dark house. Where he lives all alone. I wonder how long he's been alone. Found out from the neighbor that Norman's father was hired in the coal mine. And his first day he shows up at work, the roof caved in on him and killed him. When Norman was just a little boy. Ah, uh, oh, Lord help that man. I think I'm going to go over there sometime and see if he'll allow me to go inside his house. Really? If he'll let me. Better take the air freshener. Norman? Norman, it's Mike, your neighbor. Nor- Hey, Norman. Just thought I'd come to visit. Oh. Uh. Okay. Come in. Why, thank you, Norman. I thought I had prepared myself for the worst, but I still could hardly believe how filthy his home was. Dirt everywhere on everything. I brushed against the curtain by the door and dust rained down. The windows were so dirty that at three in the afternoon it looked pitch dark outside. Parts of the ceiling and wallpaper from the walls were fallen from leaks in the roof. The place was a fire trap, extension cords running everywhere. Open cans of spaghetti and ravioli and tuna covered the kitchen table and sink. Forks and spoons sprouted out of their tops and I realized Norman must have eaten all his meals out of those cans. Norman, uh, you get enough food to eat here? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. See? Norman, how old is that milk? Huh? The milk, Norman, it's curdled. It's probably not good for you. It's all right. You know, it's a little chilly in here. Your furnace working? Sometimes. <clears throat> well... 
Norman, I don't mean to intrude upon you, but every once in a while, if you don't mind, I'd like to come talk to you. All right. And that's what I did. Norman became less nervous and shy as he grew accustomed to seeing me. Over time, I learned that Marie, the woman next door, handled his finances. She also owned his house and let him live in it for free. Norman never repeated what I said anymore, and I could tell he liked the visits. I didn't understand much of his behavior, and it took me a couple months before I stopped being afraid of him. No one in town knew what was wrong with Norman, but there were lots of opinions. I heard he was hit by a Greyhound bus. No, mm -mm, that's not it at all. He was really a genius, and then he got so much knowledge stuffed into his head that his mind just exploded one day. I know for sure he's demon-possessed. Yet another theory was... He's an idiot savant. He's still mentally defective, but he has a special genius in the area of math. This rumor probably started as a result of a specific mockery toward Norman. I remember children used to poke Norman and scream. Hey, weirdo! What's 427? Plus 941! Plus 833! What is it, Norman? Yeah, weirdo, what is it? <laughs> yeah! What's the total number, weirdo? What's the number, weirdo? What's, What's the, the number, number weirdo? weirdo? What's, What's the, the number, number weirdo? weirdo? What's the, the number, number, weirdo? number, weirdo? 8,004,000! 206! <laughs> Eight million? He's so stupid! He's so weird! That's cause he's weird old Norman! <laughs> Mockery like this, once I really thought about it, told me that other people were afraid of Norman as well. I felt, though, that the Lord had called me to minister to Norman and I was determined to carry it through. I kept going to see him in the early evenings despite my own fears. Late in the fall, I decided I would perform a kind of exorcism on Norman. I remember it was one of those gray, wet days in November as I crossed the street wondering what evil I might stir up in Norman's soul that night. After asking me in, Norman followed me into the living room to watch TV. When I gathered my courage, I circled behind Norman as he sat in his dirty old rocking chair. Don't ask me where I got my ideas about how to do an exorcism. I just thought if my heart were in the right place, God would honor whatever gestures I made. I was still a few feet from Norman when my tiptoe steps started to make the floorboards creak. He shuffled in his chair, but didn't turn around. My palms were sweating as I stood directly behind him, not knowing what to expect. I quickly put my hands around the back of his head, inches from his scalp, and prayed, You come out. You come out. What? What are you? Norman, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> it's a good show, huh? Uh. Uh-huh. Yep, it's a good one. Immediately, I felt silly. 
His sincere look made me realize I was the one acting strangely. Norman was so trusting, I realized then. He was the one taking the risk, letting me come into his home when so many people in his life had abused him. From that day on, my fears abated, and I came to admire Norman more and more. There was a spiritual darkness in that house, though. Partly it was in Norman, but a lot of it was in me, too. Join us next time for part two and the conclusion of Mike and Norman's compelling story. Listening friend, is there a spiritual darkness in your life? Perhaps like Norman, you have given the idea of a savior that died for you serious consideration, but you've never actually taken the steps to repent and believe in Jesus as your savior. If you haven't, why not do so today? You will find a friend who will change your life and give you peace. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 promise that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you need help in making this crucial decision, we encourage you to call 1-888-NEED-HIM or you can get in touch with us here at Pacific Garden Mission, 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. Now, we love hearing from our listeners here on the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, so send us your questions and we'll answer them here. It can be something you're curious about or just something you want to share with us. All you have to do is write us at podcast at unshackled.org or call and leave us a message at 312-281-1264. We'd love to hear from you. Now, before we get to our sweepstakes drawing info, I just want to remind you to subscribe or like our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. You can even share it or tell a friend. We'd also love for you to review or rate our podcast. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts on this same platform. Unshackled Daily Devotionals, and Unshackled in Person. We appreciate your input and involvement in our ministry. And again, please consider supporting us so we can freely offer quality Christian programming to the world. All right, the new prize for this sweepstakes contest is yet another beautiful wooden scripture plaque. The verse on this one is Lamentations 5.21. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. This plaque is, well, beautiful. The deep brown bark complements the light brown rings where this plaque is written. It's also carved into almost the shape of a heart. If you'd like a peek at this scripture plaque, you're welcome to visit our podcast website, unshackledpodcast.org, and stop by the audio drama page for a picture. Unfortunately, we are only able to mail this plaque to locations within the United States, so our drawing is limited to U.S. addresses. But if you reside in the U.S., all you have to do to enter our sweepstakes drawing is call 312-281-1264 or email podcast at unshackled.org and give us your name, phone number, and email. That's your name, your phone number, and email. The deadline to enter the drawing will be June 3rd, and we will announce the winner 
on June 19th. We look forward to hearing from you. And next time... My goodness. Norman, look at all that soot drip down that windowpane. <laughs> Dirty. <laughs> you must have thought you'd been living in a house with permanently stained glass. I can see the light now. Here comes the sun. <laughs> After befriending Norman, the town eccentric, Mike Adkins was feeling good about what he was able to offer in this new friendship. Hey, Norman, have you ever been to see the St. Louis Cardinals play? No, like to. Well, why don't we go to a game then? I'll get tickets. Ah. You wait and see if I don't. That is until God called him to an even deeper level of charity. Norman, you need to pray for Jesus to save you. Do you want to do that? Yeah, I do, Mike. Don't miss the conclusion of this heartwarming story. We bring you part two of the true story of Mike Adkins and a man called Norman. Coming soon on Unshackled. Heard in part one of the true story of Mike Adkins and a man called Norman were Jeff Parker, Tom McElroy, Demetrius Troy, Marcy Mencotti, Mara Kate Burns, and Holly Krajewski. Original music, Don Badorf. Sound effects, Demetrius Troy. Sound assistant, Holly Krajewski. Recording engineer, David Pierczynski. Audio engineer, Michael Kahn. Script, Tim Gregory. Well, that's it for this week's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. So until next time, unless our Lord returns before then, I'm Timothy Gregory, your brother in Christ. <laughs>